I mean, there are there are some studies that say that like uh, technically swearing is correlated with like higher intelligence. Mm-hmm. I honestly wasn't even really raised religious. And I kind of converted into it. I do feel pretty strongly about it. So you gave up. You're trying to give up cursing for for Lent. Is that what it is? Yeah. Well, I, I, Lent's oh, it's over. I finished a while ago. I finished um, with Easter, obviously. But like, uh, I kind of because I used to swear a lot, and I feel like growing up, my parents didn't really cuss. But like once I just started like, I don't know, just like middle school whatever like whenever like right. kids normally start cussing i just kind yes. of a lot and i had a foul mouth and like um at first my parents like, were like really kind of strict about it but at some point my parents kind of gave up trying to punish me for it and so i just have a foul, my foul mouth around the house like the only place i wouldn't like cuss would be like in front of teachers at school but you know um yeah uh so yeah and, like, it's definitely college. one of those habits yeah it's a weird habit it, like you, you know that like sixth graders Mm-hmm. They just want to throw a fuck in every sentence, or like, right, yeah, just to feel cool, or like something like that. And I get it. I have, I have a brother who's um, what he's about to be in ninth grade, so he'll he'll throw in you know curse words for no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I don't know. I kind of get on him about that. I, I I curse. I'd say a good bit. Um, I try not to curse in front of. Obviously, I don't I don't curse in front of adults, and I really try not to curse in front of um other girls and especially my girlfriend but um you know comes out it's something that's it's kind of different for every family you know there's some families that are like very very traditional and don't mm-hmm. tolerate it at all and then there are some that i grew up with where it's more relaxed so it's almost kind of similar to you know that um that it's like difference in parenting like if you give like your kid, if you say like you cannot have any sweet things at all and you only don't allow like you don't allow any sugar around the house. Yeah. They're going to grow up predominantly like not around that sugar, but but they're going to crave it. So when like they're with their friends and they get the chance, they're going to destroy it. They're going to demolish it, you know? Right. Yeah. Like I, I, I remember going over to friend's house and he had like fruit roll ups and Skittles and all this kind of stuff and like chocolate milks and like uh, high seas and all this kind of stuff. Um. And I, you know, went straight for that when I got to his house. I was like, oh, my gosh, like sugar, candy. Um, And then I was like, oh, are you not? Why aren't you freaking out about it? And he's like, I have it all the time. And so then there's the other way of, you know, some parents like allow their kids to be exposed to that. Having sodas on that because then they'll eventually moderate themselves almost. It's it's different. It's kind of like people do that with dogs. Some people feed them their dogs on a regular schedule Mm -hmm. and then others just what is it like free based feeding or free just like basically i don't know if that's the right term but where you just leave food out for your dog and over time he'll eat whenever he's hungry and they'll you know they're not going to eat you see a dog that's only fed at a certain point of the day Mm -hmm. and he's going to devour it he's going to try to eat as much as he can and then so it's it's just a difference but uh i don't know how i got off on that tangent about dogs but that's um yeah, cursing's cursing's kind of weird. It, it freaks some people out. It's I don't know. I think I think it's kind of ignorant sometimes. I think if I think there's definitely better vocabulary to use than just saying shit or you know yeah sure something like that. I mean, there are there are some studies that say that like uh, technically swearing is correlated with like higher intelligence and it means you have actually higher vocabulary. It just you choose not to use some of those other words maybe and you decide to you know express yourself really like, oh, oh shit crap you know this fucking bullshit you know <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, piece yeah. Of, you know whatever but like the the issue is just that um for me at least I, I find that like that just affects like what i think about you know and lent i really try to like clear my mind a lot you know um clear my mind about a lot of things i mean like uh, this isn't I mean I don't know if it's a Christian thing but like I know that some Muslim people like with, with the main reason why they don't eat for like Ramadan and stuff is because they want to like totally clear their mind from thoughts about food and for me like I never had problems with that so like I you know uh, I, I've, I fast for different reasons for uh, for, for something like Lent but uh, things like cursing things like you know um, not like the type of not like food in general but like the type of food like not eating certain, certain sugary things I'm like a big sweet tooth you know um, just things like that you know like like spend time on my phone like I just I uninstalled mean, a bunch of crap like I had you know um to like take I mean I probably shouldn't have TikTok because TikTok's kind of kind of sketchy app but like yeah, I have like TikTok yeah, yeah. you know all, all that stuff and it just like it's like a just feeds all this you know um something into your head you know kind of like a sensory overload from everything and um 
you know, all that affects how you think. And I, I thought that I couldn't, you know, because for me, Lent is all about like, you know, Jesus' sacrifice, basically. And I, I felt like I couldn't like uh, appreciate that and, and internalize that, you know, if I was just like being bombarded from all directions, all the, all the stuff that, that I didn't really like need, that I didn't really care about mm-hmm. you know, in the long run. So, um, and just kind of a good way to, you know, cleanse yourself from a lot of stuff. So, yeah. I definitely agree. Um, you mentioned TikTok. I, <laughs> I got rid of, I finally got rid of TikTok. Like maybe, maybe it's been six days. Mm. It's felt like forever because I'm just constantly on it. And their algorithms for TikTok are ridiculous. Yeah. Because, I mean, I, I wrote a paper in, in journalism, um, just a, a research paper on algorithms in it, basically arguing that it's less, it's led to a less informed public, you know, only seeing with filter bubbles and, um, echo chambers, only seeing kind of what you believe and not really being exposed to new media and mm-hmm. ideas and opinions. So, um, yeah, I, I, I got rid of TikTok and it's felt, it's just felt better. You know, I've felt, I've, I've definitely found myself scrolling my phone and almost pressing the, uh, the area on my phone where TikTok used to be. Mm-hmm. And then there's nothing there or there's just another app there. Um, but I had to get rid of it. It, it, it was too invasive. I, I, I saw too many, I, t- I saw too many studies after a while of, you know, they track your keyboard strokes. They track, um, a lot of different documents. They have all access and you're just agreeing to that in your terms and conditions. It's just, you know, it's weird. I, um, what's his name? Dan Crenshaw. Yeah. So you know him? Yeah, the Texas congressman. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he he's very pr- big proponent against TikTok. Um, I get it. I, I feel like it's a very Republican uh, narrative, I guess, just because, you know, China and everything. Right, yeah. um, and I consider myself right-leaning, but maybe not, definitely not as right as him. But, um, I mean, he, he had a point. He was talking about how the ability that China has to tap in to show us whatever we want to see, people that aren't even its citizens, you know, especially like the, the psychological warfare is, is going to come back to like hurt us if, if we don't, you know, get something under control. Um, so some people make the argument, you know, oh, I, I don't care what I don't care that the government can see this. You know, I'm not that interesting. Or, like, why would they care about me? And I think that's, like, a fair argument. But but at the same time, like, I think looking at it from more of a, a health, a personal health standpoint, you know, kind of cleansing yourself. I wanted to delete all social media. But I, I don't think I don't think I can. Um, I don't think I'm... <laughs> I'm not... <sighs> TikTok was definitely more invasive than Instagram. Um, Snapchat's... Got. I have a lot of screen time on Snapchat, but um, I've turned off all notifications for all other Instagram mm-hmm. just because, you know, you see a Snapchat, you hear that that pop on your phone, that ding on your phone, and then you're just automatically checking something. So, I kind of the only the only notifications I get now are like reminders and texts because I need to be on my phone less. That's what I'm trying to do during spring term is throw the baseball, like yeah. practice guitar, mm-hmm. pretty much. You know, stuff that does not require me being on my phone besides watching movies. I'm big into movies. Um, so, yeah, but I think you had a good point. But you mentioned, um, I think I heard, so what denomination of, you're, you're Christian, right? Yeah, yeah. What denomination? Uh, so I'm, I'm Anglican, and that's more of like a general faith tradition than a specific denomination because there's a lot of different, you know. Yeah. Um, it comes from the Church of England, which is the, like, national religion of, like, England. Um, but uh, I'm not, like, in, I'm not English, obviously. I don't live in England. And um, in America, even in America, it's, like, very split up. So there's different, like, Anglican dominations. There's some that are, like, the the, the most official one, the one or the, the one that up until very recently was the official one, was the Episcopal Church. Um, and it's pretty old. There's this old Episcopal Church here in Lexington. It's, like, very widespread, you know, a lot of colonial churches, stuff like that. Um, but there were churches that split from it, including the church that I go to here in Lexington. Um, and actually what happened is because of like disputes within the wider Anglican community, like worldwide, especially mm-hmm. um, a lot of the more like uh, traditional Anglican churches, which are in you know parts of Africa, India, right. uh, the Pacific, you know, pretty much anywhere that speaks English, um, they were not happy with the like politicization of the church in, in like America, for example, and also to some extent in England, in like Canada, countries like that. Yeah. Um, because the the politics, it was like very, like they, they weren't basing anything really on, on like 
the Bible or like church history, they were just like, oh, you know, we want like feminism, so we're going to do X, Y, Z thing. And they would just like violate whatever rules and, you know, um, whatever. Um, at least that, from my perspective, that's kind of what happened. And, you know, for a while that was that people just tolerated that. After Afterwards, people would just make their own churches. And the churches that were originally like in, we call it in communion with them, like in one fellowship with, mm-hmm. you know, worldwide, they just, they recently basically like split off and they said, you know, we're still like in the, in the like tradition, like, we're still, you know, like this is our type of Christianity. We do it our way, you know, like we have our traditions that go back hundreds of years, but we're not, you know, just because we're similar doesn't mean that we're like in fellowship anymore. They basically broke it off because it was like, it was too right. much, you know, um, still very controversial now. And I'm sure you can find people even at, like on campus who will disagree with that. And will say that like, Oh, that's not, that's not fair. You know, whatever. But, um, I don't know. I feel pretty strongly about that. And mm. I honestly wasn't even really raised religious. And I kind of converted into it. I do feel pretty strongly about it and feel like it's, you know, it's a place where I, I can find a home and it's a, you know, it's a good church. That's good. That's yeah. good. Do you go to, is there, is there a church around here in Lexington? That yeah, you're there's um, St. Paul's. It's like, I'm trying to think of, it's, it's, it's on the bridge that's past Lexpres. It's kind of near Davidson uh, Square, near, um, I'm trying to think of which frat house is closest to it. It might be Lambda. No, it's, I think it's K.A. Okay. Yeah, it's a little wooden one that's like, um, yeah, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but like, it's, yeah, it's very nice. It's a very like small mm-hmm. local church, definitely like has a pretty rural characteristic, yeah. everything about it, but you know, it's, it's nice. Um, and I honestly, I like it more than like, I don't have like a one unique church that I go to at home. Right. Um, I just kind of go to wherever is I guess, available, you know, Christmas, whenever I'm, I'm back for holidays, whatever. But this feels like a home church. It feels like, you know, somewhere I can go back to whenever. That's good. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of bummed out if I have to, when I probably will have to leave it, you know, after, after college, but that's, you know, that's just life, so. Right, right, right. Well, um, we'll talk about, you, you said you weren't born um, into, I guess, being Anglican Christian. Um, I, I understand, I think, is your mom Jewish? My dad's actually your Jewish. Your dad's my, Jewish. My mom's from a Christian family, but not particularly Christian. She's getting more into that now, thank God, which is really nice. Yeah. But, um. Yeah, well, I, yeah. I would love for you to speak on, on, on that. I, I, I heard something. Um, I was talking to Elias, and we kind of mentioned religion, and um, he mentioned, you know, I, I wanted to you to kind of expand on how you kind of came to find God, and you know how that was growing up in a a house that's kind of, you know, not set on one religion, I guess. Yeah, I mean, so I didn't even know that there was like a split of that nature, I guess, when I was growing up, just because my parents were pretty quiet about it, and like even my like identity in terms of like, religion, like ethnicity was never really clear to me. It was always like, Oh, you're, you're an American and like you speak Russian. But then I was like, well, what, what am I like? What's my like heritage? And, um, I, I knew that my, you know, my, my parents were from Ukraine originally, but like, I didn't, where is it? Kiev? So my, my, well, it's kind of, kind of complicated. So my, my dad was born in Kiev, but his family wasn't, I mean, his family's Jewish. They weren't like mm-hmm. from, from there. Right. They just kind of moved eastward towards their, hundreds hundreds of years ago and, and settled somewhere there eventually and unfortunately because of uh the world wars and also because of the russian revolution we still have a lot of documents a lot of stuff was destroyed um the, the house that my grandpa grew up in as a little kid uh with his parents actually burned down uh alongside his parents really sad story and so we just like lost a lot of stuff from there you know and um you know i have a pretty uncommon last name it's not like rare enough to the point where you could just be like oh you know xyz right um plus the, it's kind of an interesting fact but um a lot of people not only jewish people but a lot of people in the russian empire um, didn't have last names until pretty recently, a lot later than other European countries. And at some point when they started assigning last names, it was almost like semi-random. Like they, they, it would have some basis, but it wasn't like, you know, a lot of like people whose family come from like England, like if your ancestors were like bakers, you know, your last name's like Baker. Or if, if they were like aristocracy and they were like, you know, uh, late tourneur, you know, whatever, like something like French sounding, like that would be like the family line. You could trace it back. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, you know, if, if, if you had, some resemblance to something then they might be like oh you know you, you look like you, you worked you know you could have a new job you, you could be like a first generation shoemaker and all your family before that were like farmers or i don't know like beekeepers whatever but you'd have like that shoemaker last name and it would be assigned to you in like 1880 or something or like 1860 because um russia abolished feudalism basically uh you know like the medieval kind of thing really really late right um so you know, what I'm getting at is I actually have a lot of records there. And then, um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're from 
my, my dad was born in Kiev. My mom was actually born in uh, disputed territory. She was born in Crimea, um, but her family wasn't originally from there. Because what happened is um, Crimea after the Second World War, a lot of people from there, or actually during the Second World War, just got deported to like Siberia by Stalin. And they brought new people in to like either settle there permanently or to temporarily like build stuff there. And so my um, my mom's dad, my grandpa was like an engineer, like a hydraulic engineer. He built, you know, like um, basically different kinds of water infrastructure, irrigation, uh-huh. you know, because the area before was really like dry and like deserty kind of, and they needed to make it, you know, better for farming. Yeah. So he came in there to work for, I don't know, like what, is, what the contract was with the, with the government, but like 10 years, whatever. Um, and my mom was born while he was working there, but then they went back and his family wasn't from there. His family was from the north of Ukraine, actually near the border with Belarus. So, um, and that's where his family were for you know hundreds of years before then, as far as I know. Right. Very cool. So, that's kind of your the the, the background of your parents. So, mm-hmm. kind of for as long as you can remember, how was religion, I guess, expressed in your house? We never went to church. We never went to a synagogue unless. I had friends who were like Jewish and <clears throat> sorry, how <clears throat> I'm really sorry. How, how like bar mitzvahs and stuff. So if, if if it was that, but otherwise I had very little exposure to any of those things. I still feel like I kind of grew up in my town's Jewish community just because a lot of my neighbors just happened to be Jewish, um, pretty traditional Orthodox Jewish in some cases. And um, I went to like a Jewish daycare growing up, even though it was not very like, like they, they weren't like reading us from like the Torah, or, like the, <laughs> uh, the Talmud or something being like, oh, you know, right. you have to whatever. Um, and, you know, uh, I was never, I really wanted to be bar mitzvah, a lot of my friends would be bar mitzvah, but my parents never, never, never went around to it. Um, I, I ended up reading everything I learned about Judaism, basically, either learning that from, like, friends that I was growing up with or, like, old people, but that weren't, like, teaching it to me in, like, a formal, you know, like, right. like a yeah. Saturday school, quote, quote unquote, setting in, in, in like, a synagogue, or... Um, just reading on my own, like going to the library. I really like history books growing up, so I just go and I read like, you know, the history of ancient Israel, whatever, you know, but whatever Roman history, you know, and I could get it from there basically. Um, but yeah, there, there was very little, you know, um, my dad, I think went to a synagogue before he married my mom, but even that was kind of on and off. And the agreement that they made when they got married and they had me was like, um, they would not raise me to anything. They wouldn't even like educate me too much about it. And I, it would be totally up to me what I, <clears throat> I'm so sorry. It'd be totally up to me what I get to choose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I chose Christianity. Uh, my, both my parents accepted it more or less. You know, there's just like some, it's been hard on my dad, I feel like sometimes, you know, um, because he never, he, I don't think he expected it. I mean, maybe he did, I, I really don't know, but like he, he didn't think it was serious at first. He thought it was just like a, you know, another phase, you know. Just to, just to choose something. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, when, when was this? When did you? So I became a Christian in high school, actually. Um, it's hard to give an exact point. I know some people have like a, oh, you know, like February 4th, 1994. Sure, sure, I was sure. born again. I don't really have like that kind of date. I just like my sophomore year of high school. Um, I mean, it's a long story, but I, I had a period of what I can most closely describe as like depression, basically. I was just really not in a sound state of mind. I, I had a very nihilistic philosophy outside of that where I just like... I thought that nothing mattered and you could be nihilist and still derive meaning from nothingness, but I wasn't even like that for me, but just like a, like a void. And, uh, you know, one day I just had this kind of very personal, um, dream where, I, you know, sometimes I, I, would, I was having dreams at the time where I just, I just die in my dream, you know, and it would be sometimes pretty graphic, pretty violent. And I'm a queasy guy, like blood normally makes me really sick. So it was just not, not pleasant. And, um, one time I just kind of, instead of dying, I saw someone like caught me almost in the dream and I don't know. Like I, I, it wasn't like I, you know, I was caught and then I had like a perfect vision of Jesus and Jesus told me, you know, X, Y, Z, it wasn't like that, but I just, I just felt something, you know? Um, and so then after I started reading and I found more like, like rationalist reasons that to consider uh-huh. being a Christian, like, you know, these are some proofs of God, you know, count cosmological argument and so on. Um, you know, re- reading Christian literature. Um, I read the, the first thing actually I read was, was in that regard was the new Testament and that, you know, the reading the gospels really was what changed my, changed my heart. But yeah, in addition to that, you know, kind of my mind was changed a little bit about just the general existence of God. And by the time I was junior, senior in, in high school, um, I, I, I would consider myself a Christian. There was a period of time where I was like, well, I'm just like a Jewish person that believes in Jesus or thinks that Jesus is real, but I don't know. You know, I was kind of like yeah. almost agnostic about it. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. This is like, you know, like semantic wordplay. I'm just throwing words around like, oh, I'm going to be Christian, you know. Um, 
because that, that that's what my heart believes that that's what, what my mind is coming around to believe and right. so you know that's that, that that's the world for me now you know um it's my life that's very cool yeah. um yeah I've, I've, ne- I've never heard it's it's i think it's very rare for people to even if they're very um devoted to a faith to have i guess a calling or like kind of how you mentioned um a specific date that they can point to like this is when i you know became a believer um and i i think it's possible for that to happen to most christ i'm christian so mm-hmm. i'm gonna use christian's example but you know regardless of your faith having something like that um but it's definitely going to come down to different times. I was adopted, like we talked about, from Minsk. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think for, I don't want to speak for my parents, but I think a large portion of what had them, you know, put faith in God um, was kind of the whole, was embedded within the whole adoption process. You know, they, I think my mom explains that she just woke up or like, just had the idea of like Belarus, you know, when they were thinking of like places to adopt from. And I've, you know, very few people I feel like have heard of Belarus. Um, And I know that they didn't know what it was before then. So then they just kind of looked it up, but that was kind of a interesting, you know, my dad talks a lot about like how, you know, how how, how would we have come across that country? And then to pick someone, you know, specific, so I know for them, that's a pretty influential time. And then for me, um, I'm fortunate enough to say that I don't think I've had any, um, I guess, periods in my life where I have been, I felt lost or depressed as you used. But um, there's definitely, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll give some backstory. In, in fourth grade, we found out I had a brain tumor. Um, and I, I, I still live with it. And as far as we know, we check up on it, um, at least once a year, it used to be more frequent, but for the past five years, it's been like once a year, just getting an MRI and, you know, just when we found that out in fourth grade and we thought they were linked to seizures, um, essentially without getting into too much detail, um, I would have like anxiety attacks or episodes is what you call it, but they were on a physical level. Where I like wouldn't be able to move a lot and I'd like drop to the floor or whatever and it was a scary time and you know being that young and kind of being older and understanding that my parents couldn't also like do anything to help you know that makes it kind of breaks your heart so putting a lot I think that period of my life putting a lot of faith saying a prayer every night that I could go to school that I could go to sports practice that I could even fall asleep and not be interrupted by one of these episodes you know, that I still feel every day, but they're much more mild. Um, I, I, I think having God or at least something in your corner to feel, you know, at least a little bit more comfort, whatever, how, to whatever extent that is, is, you know, pretty important. Um, and I, I pray that <laughs> I pray, I pray and I, and I wish that everyone, whether you choose to be religious or, um, whatever your religion is, you know, that you're able to find some comfort in whatever and however you choose. So, but, um, yeah, religion is pretty powerful. So, but that's, that's really interesting that, so your dad was Jewish and your mom grew up Christian, but it wasn't very, you know, well, she didn't quite grow up Christian cause, um, she grew up in the USSR. Oh, okay. Not exactly legal to be Christian, okay. at least openly. I mean, there were still yeah, plenty of people. My apologies. Were, yeah, well, will you, yeah, will you yeah. talk about that? Sure. So, um, and actually, it's an interesting story. So, my mom herself is not. Uh, well, both both of her parents were from Christian families, but it's it's a little more complicated than that because, um, in the main the main like nomination of Christianity in Russia, Ukraine, all that stuff, you know, was and still is like orthodoxy, some kind of orthodoxy. They sometimes fight about specifics, but you know. But um, my, my grandpa's family, uh, the majority of them were kind of Orthodox, but they were like outside the official Orthodox like church. And they had been since the 1600s. Um, it's kind of a weird story, but they, they were kind of like the the Russian or Ukrainian, both actually, because they're family from both sides of the border, mm-hmm. equivalent of like the pilgrims or the Puritans, where they were like super strict about certain things, almost like Amish, kind of like, you know, not using, and even like now that you don't, the, that sect doesn't really use a lot of technology. and 
the kind of hideaway and you know like the the, the arctic circle and other places where it's really remote right. so they'll move to like remote parts of america like parts of like alaska or you know um northern washington you know california where it's you know like no one's going to bother them basically and they had like a really ritualistic old-fashioned kind of way of doing things and um my maternal my, my mom's dad's like uh mom's so my my grandpa's mother i guess great-grandma um she was like the last person in that generation but uh, her she was like very to put uh, a nice way to put it is she was grumpy i mean she was probably a little more controversial in the family than that just because she was not uh, very accepting of people and just not you know um she was like really traditional but not in like a good way so that's why i can put it mm-hmm. and so that probably rubbed off on some people in my family and caused them to like have skepticism on that side of the family towards established religion and they already had a lot of you know like my mom thought about being baptized as orthodox when she immigrated here because there was a, at the time um she was in like ohio and cleveland there was a pretty big Ru- russian ukrainian immigrant community there we're not even immigrant i mean immigrant but they've been there for for a while uh, not not recent like her and but what she, what she what she found is that it reminded her too much of that church structure that had persecuted her family before and um the other thing was that, that i mean there's the kind of our political but like at the time they were because this was before the fall of the ussr it was like the 80s they were still like clearly infiltrated by the kgb and so it was like you're going to church and like everything looks fine it looks like you know the priest is doing all the stuff but then afterwards, you know, he's talking to some like dudes in like suits, and it's like really weird. It's like you know, where do these people come from? And it was pretty clear that they were like basically operatives, you know. Um, now that's not the case anymore. But now there's allegations that the I should be clear which church I say because like I, the people get them mixed up because there's the Orthodox Church in America, there's the Russian Orthodox Church outside of Russia, Rokor, and there's some other ones. I think Rokor is the one that people accuse. And I don't know if this is true or not. I don't want to like spread stuff around, but mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of accusations. And not just like you know, like gossip. Like like government officials have said this. Like other clergy said this. They might be like run by like uh, the FSB, like Putin's people now, really? who not communist obviously, but they they still have like a political interest. And you know they're you know right, right, the, right. the the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church is very like political. Like he has sh- like very strong opinions about like the war in Ukraine and, and all that stuff. And you know previous war stuff in Georgia. Um, I don't know, Chechnya, like all, all that stuff. He, he has some hot takes, and you know, that's not something that people, at least in the modern world, are used to. Because that's like, imagine like Pope Francis was commenting on like, or like not even commenting, but like supporting like, I don't know, like Saddam Hussein in the Iraq war. Like, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of like examples, but like, can you imagine like influential Western religious leaders like taking very explicit sides and like, violent bloody wars and it's you know yeah. very clearly kind of very, yeah, very politicized yeah. you know um for better or for worse i would say for worse because i just don't support putin you know I, I, yeah i have no 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 love for that 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 um entire government bureaucracy structure in, in russia right now it's just not you know um but i, I you know, some people say that oh it's it's like the cultural thing no it's not i mean i, I don't I'm not, I'm, I'm not really russian but i love russian people and i you know it's i think it's wrong to, to judge people or like to throw under the bus of and a, a, a country like a culture you know language some people don't want to speak russian now it's a, a, a civilization with a really old history you know every every music you know all this stuff why just because you know a few bad leaders mm-hmm. and some people in the 20th century that you know um it's ridiculous you yeah. know and it's not it's not fair it's like saying that you know you have to throw out 1500 years of german history because of hitler i mean or you know i'm not saying that putin is you know putin's not as bad as hitler but like you know what i'm saying just like of course that, that that kind of yeah i understand yeah i think it's i think it's also very difficult the more we get attached to social media and mm-hmm. the less you're you're a lot of media outlets um for you know just for views and clicks are gonna sh- show you know that that very small percentage that the, those outliers the the, the extremists so you know that that's happening in the U.S. with the left and the right. I'd say most Americans are pretty moderate towards the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the left, they're going to show when they're disagreeing with the right, they're going to show your extreme right party and say this is the right. This is this is anyone that leans right, which is obviously um, a complete exaggeration and fairly inaccurate. And the same for the right, showing um, extremists from the left. So I think I think it's difficult to 
especially with this war going on, I, I would agree I don't support the Russian government um, and Putin. However, every single person that I've met personally that's Russian, I've loved. And I think they're so very interesting. And I talked to Dima. I had him on the other day and we got to listen to his backstory. And I just met with Tanya and I'm excited. Hopefully I can sit down with Professor Brodsky. But, you know, it, it, Russia is such a cool history and it's very... You know, it's all over the place, but it's it's definitely something that I think uh, it should not just be, you know, cast aside as like this is this is terrible. This should not be learned about. I think definitely, definitely learn from as many success stories and mistakes as you can. Um, and I think you know to have a full understanding and be is what be as or get rid of as much ignorance as you can. I think you need to you know understand. Um, even the bad, bad things. I guess if that makes sense. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's it's. I did not. Um, so I didn't know she grew up in in the the Soviet Union. Um, so she grew up in Russia. Well, uh, she grew up in what is now. Oh, Crimea. In, like in Crimea. Said. Yeah. Right. 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 Um, right. for the first like ten, eight, nine, ten years of her life. Was that that was occupied by? It's actually an interesting story. It was, so it was its own autonomous part of the Russian Empire, and then when the USSR was formed, they gave it to to Russia at first. Yeah. Um, even though the majority of the population was not Russian or Ukrainian, they were a different thing. But then those people um, who were kind of like they weren't Turkish, but they were like Turkic speaking. They were Tatar. The majority of them, the vast majority, got deported to Siberia, and they, as I said, they they replaced those people. And then I think in like 19, a few years after World War II, 52, 53, 54, it was transferred um, from the Russian Soviet um, Federal Republic to the mm-hmm. Ukrainian Soviet Republic, which is effectively like transferring, you know, the Florida panhandle from Florida to like Alabama or Georgia, right? So it's just like a trans- in- interstate transfer, but it's not like changing like international borders because it was all one country. Um but after, obviously, after the USSR collapsed, they all became separate countries, and so Ukraine kept the Crimea. But um, Crimea was made a autonomous republic that had like extra liberty and stuff, like extra freedoms, kind of like I think a good example, almost like a U.S. territory, but like yeah. more so, like you know, Puerto Rico doesn't like pay taxes and you know, stuff like that. And they had, they, so they they were very much you know that they and they could. Um, they, I think they bypassed certain Ukrainian laws about like, oh, you have to learn Ukrainian in school. Um, no, you don't, because you know the majority of the people there were Russian people that had moved in after the Second World War, and so those were not, you know, ethnic Ukrainians. They, they didn't identify as ethnically Ukrainian. They didn't speak Ukrainian. Um, a lot of people in Ukraine actually didn't speak Ukrainian. I didn't grow up speaking Ukrainian because my parents were, when they grew up, they weren't really allowed to speak it in public too much. And so they learned it, but they spoke Russian as their like primary language. Mm-hmm. So when they taught me like a language other than English, you know, I, I was taught Russian. I, was, I mean, I, I, can, I can understand some Ukrainian. And I was taught, you know, a good amount of words, and I've just been exposed to it a decent amount, but uh, not to the point where I can like honestly say that I'm fluent in it or that I like I speak it because I really don't, you know. Um, and for a while, that you know, that was the case. You know, even after independence, where a lot of people in Ukraine spoke, can you spoke can you understand Russian. it pretty well, like listening? Probably like decently well. Um, I might be able to pass a test for like i don't know like a like a fifth grader you know like 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 someone in like grade school but honestly like if i were to like i definitely could not understand like ukrainian literature you know like anything very like okay that's fair. sophisticated fans like that just because yeah well, i wasn't educated um i probably should because it kind of is the language of most of my ancestors but um yeah i, just, I never really got around to mm-hmm. it and for the longest time that I had no use for it because the parts of Ukraine that I would visit would be like the central central part of the country, the central and the north. Yeah. We're talking like Kiev, um, uh, Cherkaska uh, Oblast, which is a little bit south of Kiev in the north, uh, like um, Chernihiv, Chernigov, depending on uh, what language you speak, which is near the border with like Belarus toward, towards Belarus and Russia. Mm-hmm. Those are all places that until pretty recently, either the majority of people spoke Russian or they at least understood Russian. Uh, Kiev was really like 50-50. But then after the war started, um, the first part of the war in 2014, people slowly started like dropping Russian or speaking Ukrainian everywhere. And it t- took a while. I remember the last time I visited was like 2019, 2020 maybe. Yeah, it was 2019, yeah. Um, by then already, like people were definitely shifting away. Right. But in the past two years, and especially like since the invasion, people have been dropping Russian almost everywhere in the country unless they like 
identify with the Russian cause, which is a very small percentage of the population. Most people are obviously super anti-Russia right now, understandably. Um, and so you could go really far east where people would normally be speaking Russian. People might even be like, I don't want to say like ethnically Russian, but they might have like a lot of Russian ancestry, like a lot of personal ties, business ties to Russia, and they will still be speaking Ukrainian now just because they don't want to be affiliated with that kind of stuff. You know, unless they're, if you're living under obviously Russian, the Russian occupied part of the country right. with under the military, you, know, you really have a choice. Uh, you might get in trouble, but you know, people that still live in like Ukraine, Ukraine, like the, the you know, the, the free part of the country, um, everyone is now Ukrainian. There used to be a lot of debates about that, you know, like should kids be forced to learn Ukrainian in school even if they're not living, you know, in, in the western part of the country, you near know, like Poland and Hungary where everyone normally speaks Ukrainian, like traditionally, you know, for however long, hundreds of years. Um, that's not even a debate anymore. Everyone agrees, basically. It's funny that the war, you know, it's been horrible from, from my perspective, at least from like my grandpa and people that still live there have told me um, the country's really unified around all these issues like language and culture and, you know, stuff like that, so... It's good. Are they, are they, you've been able to keep in touch with them? Yeah. Because uh, I, I, my grandma and my grandpa, my mom's parents, they still both live in Kiev. They're both pretty old. Uh, it's pretty hard to get them out, especially my grandmother, just not like a good, not even like medically good, you know, not a safe option. Plus, travel is expensive. It's difficult. You know, there's corruption. Right. It's just not, I mean, we have a lot of people that we know, like family, friends um, who have gone in and out of the country after the war started. And it's not, like, it's doable. It's not impossible. We've actually been able to, like give those people like stuff to send to our you know grandparents and they, they can get to get it to them but it's good unfortunately it's like it's still it's, it's a byzantine process it's difficult um my parents are really paranoid about covid for a while and that was also kind of a barrier they kind of relax about that now thank god but like you know that, that was an issue for a while mm-hmm. um but yeah they're, they're they're okay that's good um it, it's scary life is their scary man for time you probably told you a lot about how that is but it just like where they live, it's not too far from like a military hospital. Even so, even though it's a pretty urban part of Kiev, um, stuff just gets bombed, like you know. And they're sleeping in the middle of the night, and it's just the, the like alarm goes off, the like um, like bombing siren. I don't know what it was called. Um, Sirens, alarms. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, very dis disturbed. It's yeah, it's 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 horrifying, um, and it's the very to be blunt, to the very end of their lives. And, you know, you, you'd think that they'd be spending that kind of, like, in a peaceful, you know, ser- not, well, not serene, but, like, a, you know, like a nice, quiet environment. Like, how any, anyone would want to spend the end of their life, you know? Um, but, you know, they're spending their end of their 80s and sort of their 90s, you know, in, like, a, like a, like a war zone. War zone, yeah, really. So. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, I'll pray for them. But, yeah, it's... it's, it's a, are they... They are up to like. Let me ask this. They were uh, they were open to the idea of fleeing the country, because I I know I know um, uh, I've talked to some people and their their relatives you know didn't want to mm-hmm. they wanted to stay. They were <clears throat> they were open only at the very beginning when it, there were a lot of Russian forces in and around Kiev and it just looked really bad. They were open to it then but then it was that that was like the most impractical time to leave just because there was like no transport but before then for years before then actually um since like my grandma turned 80 honestly like since that kind of time period and up until like now basically so other than that one period they've been against it pretty clearly they're like this is our home we don't want to leave it we're too old to leave anyway you know we want to stick it until the end kind of kind of you know um whatever happens happens kind of mentality i mean they're, they're pretty stubborn to be honest it's a cultural thing it's also their age you know yeah. people tend to be that way um they've lived through other bad stuff before and it's not like a novelty for them it's not you know maybe in some sense it's actually worse for like kids to live through that than like older people um they both grew up during world war ii my grandpa grew up under german occupation and, and like the the brunt you know like the invasion force are just going through going back you know later on when the, the, the soviets push pushing them back to germany and so, you know, as kind of messed up as it seems, he kind of like has been through a lot of this before as a kid, to be fair, but still. Um, and so he just kind of like, oh, you know, I, I went, got into this world, went into this world, you know, during war, and I'm probably going to leave this world during war. That's just life. You know, the Lord gives, the Lord takes. That's just how it is. So, um, yeah, they, they, they've kind of accepted it, I guess. Yeah, Jim. Well, uh, <laughs> I didn't mean to get you off on a nah, upsetting not, tangent. Yeah, it's, um, it's a lot, but I appreciate you sharing that. Um, I guess kind of shifting to something more lighthearted. When yeah. did your parents? Um, so, would you classify them as first generation Americans? I guess. 
How would you how would you say that they they came over to the the U.S. I just kind of want to hear that story and then how you were brought up. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I always get mixed up or like confused with like the first generation, second generation stuff because I like I don't know if, whether I'd be considered first or second generation. For example, um, I normally just say second just because I feel like I feel like my parents are Americans. They are pretty well assimilated. I mean, my my mom especially she's been in the country for a while. And yeah, when did they when did they come over? And so my mom first came over in. Um, in the 80s, I think. But the thing is that she'd left the USSR earlier um, because she was working in England and she was able to not like escape, but like kind of get out for a while. And so she was kind of coming here from England more so than she was coming from Ukraine, even though she wasn't obviously, you know, born and bred English or anything. Um, so that was, she kind of got into the country and got to experience just like life in the West and in the UK and in the US um, before the USSR itself collapsed, mm-hmm. which, you know, which is kind of, kind of a privilege because a lot of people just came here afterwards. Like my dad, my dad came out here after the US star collapse in 1991. I always get the years mixed up, but it was like, you know, like 92, something like that. Like right. pretty soon, pretty much as soon as he could, you know, find like work, find like a, uh, you know, go go through the whole process of immigration and all that stuff. Um, they were also lucky enough to be, you know, pretty well educated and just have a lot of the opportunities that, that make it easier to immigrate as opposed to, you know, some people, the immigration process can be very difficult and it could take years, you know, for stores, oh, yeah. 10, 15, 20 years, more than that. Some people almost wait their whole lives, you know. They got lucky in that respect. Um, I also, I mean, I don't know, but I'm, I'm willing to bet that just like the immigration system kind of made it easier for people that were fleeing from like collapsing communist countries, you know, the, the same reason why there's like the Vietnamese immigrants, for example, in, in America, you know, some similar kind of, um, they were definitely lucky in that respect, I think. Um, and that that's something that, I was you know, kind of raised with, you know, you have to really appreciate everything that this country's given given to us, you know, um, and do our, do our best to, you know, maintain, obviously, parts of our culture and language, but otherwise, assimilation, like I was raised, you know, American flag, you know, <laughs> do X, Y, Z, you know, say the pledge, um, learn American history, you know, everything, but like, it, you know, we didn't, we didn't assimilate into like the American, not the American religion, but like the majority religion of, of sure. you know, like evangelical Christianity, just because, you know, my parents were not religious. But I, right. Yeah. So you're from Ohio? No, I'm from New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, okay, okay. Yeah, you, you, mentioned, you mentioned you mentioned something about Cleveland or something. Yeah, yeah. My, my mom first stayed in um, northeastern Ohio, so like Cleveland, places around there, and um, in Massachusetts, um, Cambridge, near, near Boston. You know, um, oh, there, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and then she met my dad, who was living in New York, um, and then they... Originally, I was I was born in Manhattan, but um, it's kind of a funny story. We're not funny. It's kind of sad, I guess. But the climate in Manhattan was just not good for me. I was kind of a sickly kid for a while. Uh, I I had like breathing problems until I started swimming in, in like late elementary school or the middle school, and so um, there was like a how to describe it like a some some breathing breathing stuff. I really honestly I'm not like a medical guy. I don't know like, exactly you know, okay. how yeah, yeah. all all this stuff is, but. Um, no the landlord also wanted to like remove whatever apartments were there and like make like condos or something i forget what it was and um nobody wanted to leave but he knew that like i somehow knew that like i had like an issue and so he would like just turn off our our heat in the winter time and so i had that breathing problem my parents were like we cannot stay here um oh wow that's fun you, you know um Plus, just housing in New York is ridiculously like overpriced. Like everything still just, is. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so they 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 found a house kind of in the burbs, you know, in New Jersey, where my my dad could commute to work, and my mom my mom was already working from home, doing like software stuff, and so very cool. Um, I moved out, and and so I grew up pretty much my entire life outside of those first like two three years in New Jersey, pretty close to New York. But yeah, not, not quite. Yeah. You know. Okay, and did you? And then you landed on WNL. Yeah. How'd that work out? Uh, like how did I find WNL? Yeah. Kind of randomly, to be honest, I was just like browsing through like schools and stuff. Yeah. And um, I think my guidance counselor might have mentioned it at some point. It's just like oh, you know, think about possibilities. But I mean, I don't know. From my experience, like a lot of people don't really give a shit what their guidance counselor said. So much. just like you know, this this guy has to you know he's required to do whatever by the school. Yeah, yeah. You, you yeah, listen yeah. to whatever you know speeches about you know making sure all your stuff is in order and grades test scores whatever and they're just like okay you know uh old man yells at clouds and get out of here I'm like, let me do my own thing um i had a pretty nice guidance counselor and you know, i don't want to like criticize him too much but um it was mostly just that i just read about the school and i was already like applying to a lot of smaller schools um trying to honestly i don't want to say like sound like the unappreciative but trying to like get away from the 
like urbane, you know, busier part of the country where I was, you know. Um, yeah, New Jersey's crazy back. Yeah, ninety uh, percent of the states like just one mega suburb, you know, Philly, New York highway, and, you know. Is that kind of where um, you were? I was actually born a little bit north of that. I was lucky in that I didn't grow up in like the super claustrophobic, you know, like New Brunswick type part of the country, or like Newark, uh, Elizabeth. Like, I, not, I wasn't quite from there. The, the place where I grew up actually kind of looked a little bit like upstate New York, and you know, there were like hills and there were mountains, and, That's you know, nice. not too far off, and a lot of trees. But um, it, it was like a little oasis almost. And unless you went off towards Pennsylvania, everywhere else is like highway, basically. There was there was like a nice park with a few acres where I grew up mm-hmm. you leave that park and it is sprawl 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 um and not even like you know walkable sprawl because let me like mm-hmm. like Lexington for example is really walkable you walk pretty much anywhere downtown it was like you know um you need to drive I mean most of the country like, you got to drive places right and I just I, I don't know I thought it was kind of you're ready to get out of that yeah I, I really, get it yeah. yeah I mean I'm from Columbia um mm-hmm. and one that place is ridiculously humid um, it's it sits in a basin, so it's the air just sits, and it it's just it's not even that's hot. It's just humid. It gets hot, but the humidity is just what makes it. You know, you're not gonna ever step out after May, and not not you're you're never gonna have a quarter zip on or anything that has layers after that. Right, so yeah, yeah. I was kind of ready to get out of that and go up somewhere more north and just see more stuff. You know, Columbia's great. Um. I um, I mean, I loved it there. I love the people there, and um, in South Carolina and kind of southeast, and I've met great people from New Jersey in the north. My girlfriend's from New Jersey, yeah. um, so I mean, yeah, I, I get it. I mean, I, I was kind of looking for something small as well, but I was I was looking to go north. You were looking to go south. Yeah. So. What do you um What do you study? So I'm currently an econ major, but um, and I haven't declared anything else, but I'm hoping to declare. I'm still debating if it should be a classics minor or a double major. Because the thing is, I've also debated doing a philosophy minor. Obviously, you can't like triple minor or anything, uh, to, to my knowledge, at least. Yeah. So, so if I were if I were to have both, I'd have to have a, a classics double major and um, philosophy. But I have the credits where like those are both possibilities. So I yeah. just have to kind of figure it out, look at like my timetables, make sure everything is yeah. in order there. Why classics? Um, good question. So, two reasons. Number one is that I really enjoy learning about the like ancient world um ancient history and especially something that i kind of had interest in since i was a little kid but i wasn't intending on major even minoring it too much i thought um, i might do like history here you know something broad um but actually i forgot to for the language thing to like sign up for it before like the you know orientation all that stuff uh-huh. or sorry before matriculation and um yeah, there's a foreign language requirement here, and so since they didn't know that, you know, I, I speak Russian, and I think I could have passed the Spanish one too. I mean, my Spanish has declined pretty badly, but I passed some like fluency standards in high school, and I, I feel like I was pretty good. I mean, I talked to my Hispanic friends in Spanish, and you know, it was not like um, ever ever an issue. Anyway, I I missed all that stuff basically. I just bad time management and all whatever, um, and so I was like, shoot, I got to take a language, you know. I don't want to. I mean, I could take like intermediary Spanish, but even then, I pass all the testing stuff so i'd have to like reach out to the department and be like oh can i test into this you know i didn't want to do that so um i just indicated that i wanted to try latin and i'm like the what kind of course are you interested in because i thought oh, latin is a cool language you know uh sounds cool <laughs> dead ass language uh yeah it's not, not not very useful but you know like whatever uh you know I, my, my mentality then was like you know i'm just taking fdrs for like freshman year and i'm not using half the stuff anyway um you know uh uh, you know, I have an interest in Christianity, obviously, and although it's not the language of, any, of the Bible or anything, a lot of early Christian stuff is written in Latin, and, you know, the, I mean, I'm not Catholic, but the Catholic Church still uses Latin, and I just thought, you know, I might maybe have some use with that. Um, so I was like, hey, you know, YOLO, why not? Let's take it. Um, and, uh, you know, it was difficult for me, um, even though Russian has some similarities because it's also a pretty highly inflected language, I found that uh, Russian, and, and even Spanish, honestly, because Spanish is a romance language, did not give me a background that was like good for it uh, there were kids there, there's kids that go to the school who have like a very you know fancy prep school background where they took like you know eight ten years of latin and greek yeah. and it's like you know um i, I went to a I, private school and i took spanish since oh uh, yeah um and i think most people will take like spanish but maybe french uh latin is definitely like a very like niche kind of you know subset of whatever of course um 
but yeah, it was it was definitely a struggle for me, and I'm I'm, I'm still not the best Latinist, you know. Um, if you ask people in like a class in French, I'm sure they tell you that. But like, <sighs> I, I honestly I still really enjoy it. It's one of those things where like, it's the classes that I'm like either the least good at or like just my kind of eh, classes. But they're they're still like my favorite ones, you know. And so um, that's rare. Yeah, yeah. Like I I didn't expect that to be the case. <laughs> I, I thought I would like either breeze through them and like not like them, or they'd it'd be difficult and I'd like yeah, drop in for something else. Yeah. But no, it ended up being like so enjoyable that I'm willing to like take the like the grade hit basically right and put it yeah, right yeah yeah I, and i wouldn't do that for almost anything else and so because of that i was like oh, you know classics it would make sense to do this more yeah. academically you know for the rest of for the rest of college that's cool um no I, I think language is so cool and i didn't really realize that until i got further along in high school with spanish um and yeah i've taken spanish i don't know for middle school before middle school whatever but Basically, by my senior year, I was able to have pretty uh, coherent, fluent, um, not not fluent, but pretty, you know, uh, smooth conversations um, and have a pretty broad vocabulary. So I always love to be able to talk to, you know, some of my friends that know Spanish really well and have a, you know, casual conversation. And the only thing that trips me up is maybe not knowing a specific word, like in Spanish, like just vocabulary. Um, everything else, having um, grammar and all that kind of stuff uh, down felt nice. So I knew when I came here, I was kind of torn between doing Spanish again. And then I saw Russian as an opportunity and I didn't even know I was going to minor in it um, until uh, I guess it just made sense because I'm doing a strategic communications major. So I mm -hmm. thought communications with a language made sense on top of um, just general interest. You know, I love the Russian department here. Um, they're great people. And I like the people in my class. And I just think the language is cool. This really like alphabet, right? Yeah. So it's it's almost like I can read hieroglyphics and no one else can, you know, except you, you know, yeah. among other people. Um, I know that, well, what's funny, you're, you're talking about econ. You and I, that was our first class, um, not only together, but that was our first class kind of at the school. Yeah. It was what Monday, Wednesday, Friday in the morning, eight thirty to nine thirty, and that so, felt like the longest goddamn yeah. class to me. You seemed to get by pretty easily. You, you had a pretty good knack for it, but I was just struggling, dude. I mean, econ one eighty, fourth industrial revolution. That's not just a regular econ one hundred level class. That was yeah. like a third. I mean, I, I don't know. Would you say it was more advanced than what you intended, or do, would you say at least it's, at least it's more advanced than an Econ 100? What, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, honestly, I had no idea what to expect going into that class, just because, like, the way it was told to me was like, oh, this is like an Econ-themed writing seminar where you just, like, occasionally write stuff in an Econ theme, and I was like, that doesn't sound like it's going to be too good for, useful for my major, but whatever. You know, yeah. Um, and then it ended up being, like, basically Econ 100, all the material there, plus or minus, like, maybe one or two things, I'm trying to recall. Yeah, like, two maybe things. Plus all of this, like, social policy stuff, you know, involving, like, automation. Very and, modern right, discussions. Yeah. Um, and so it, it was it was kind of a lot. I mean, it wasn't, like, super hard, per se, but it was a lot more work than I was expecting, I guess. And, like, the readings were more verbose than I thought it would be, you know. It was generally, like, more of both sides of, of, of kind of like academic classes more present in that than, than, than I expect. I thought it would just be kind of like, oh, this is a mandatory freshman class, you know. Right. I got to take this to fulfill like, whatever requirement. You know, my, my uh, advisor told me, you know, if you don't take this, it's not good. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll take it, yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting, though, overall. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I, I definitely thought the material um, was very interesting, but it was <laughs> – a seminar I didn't realize was that different than a lecture. You know, we were you know participation was very very um, you know you had to be very involved, mm -hmm. and not only that, but I thought the way it was structured with like what just a four, total of four tests that took three hours each, and that was just brutal. And the things that we were discussing, my problem was I understood broadly what we were discussing, but when you got into the specific logist like just the logistics of how a graph moves and how the market is affected based on mm -hmm. one small variable always confused me. Yeah. That's where I struggled was the actual, you know, market um, fluctuations and, you know, you start equilibrium and just all, all those different and I got the vocab mixed up and I've never been great with word problems. So um, that was just hell for 
12 weeks, but it was definitely a good experience. I wrote, I took a, uh, I took a, um, a sociology class the next semester. Yeah. And I wrote, um, I wrote a paper literally on the shrinking of the middle class and I there quoted yeah. and cited um, Professor Casey and Goldsmith. And I thought, you know, though it was one of the hardest classes, like I learned a lot of stuff that I'm, I'm glad I learned about it. That, that was, that was relevant to today. Mm -hmm. So kind of pivoting towards that. Cause we're, um, we can talk, you know, we're, we're 55 minutes in, but we could still go for the next thing I have is at seven 30. I'd like to go as long as we can. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying this, but, um, unless you have somewhere to be, no, 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 no. um, but you know, kind of talk about AI and automation. I don't know how much you have, how much knowledge you have on that, but I, that that's something I think is so cool. Whatever you know, I was talking with Bosco, you know Jack Bosco mm -hmm. about Chat GBT. I don't know. I just kind of wanted to pick your brain and th hear your thoughts on kind of all the automation and you know stuff that's going on with Chat GBT maybe influencing uh, being a problem in schools. And I don't know. I didn't know if you had any thoughts on it or not. Yeah, I, I, I do. Uh, some of them are kind of conflicting just because I, there's so much stuff that's being said about this, and um, there's a lot of I'm trying to think of a good word to describe it, like panic almost, a lot of paranoia that I feel like the people that are very closely involved with, like specifically ChatGPT and OpenAI, are, are saying, um, and this is, they're making these predictions like, you know, it's going to wipe out, you know, half of all the jobs in the, in the economy within the next 15 to 20 years. It's going to wipe out the same percent of jobs, whatever it's going to replace, you know. That might be true, honestly. I, I mean, I could see it kind of. Um, even if you look at something like ChatGPT, and that ChatGPT is just one like module of what OpenAI is doing. It's, you know, the, their AI framework is very comprehensive um, and pretty sophisticated, especially compared to what we've seen in the past, you know, 10, 20 years, whatever. Um, ChatGPT does have a lot of processing power. I won't deny that. And if you look at like, I mean, even 3.5, the old iterations of, so even like GPT-4, for example, both of them actually, they're pretty good, darn good at doing like a lot of routine manual not like manual work but like white collar work like accounting for example um if you give gpt4 like an accounting problem for example it will do it without issue um it, it knows what to do it knows how to process that information very quickly it's very precise and it has a lot of experience of like accounting related material to learn from you know it's not just like it's been told all these rules because rules with like accounting can change and sometimes you have to you know manipulate go around certain well i'm not like an accounting guy but from what i understand like it's not a totally you know um horizontal like black and white black and white field right, right. if it was then it would have been automated ages ago right you could just have a com simple computer program do it it's not, not a big deal um then we wouldn't have you know accounting programs in colleges and graduate schools and right. all, all that stuff um cpas but no, I mean, uh, it, it really it really learns kind of like a person. I mean, the neural network that AI is based off of, the it, it, that kind of machine learning is like supposed to be based off of a human brain. And I'm not a neuroscientist. I don't know exactly how accurate that is, but that's, that's what they say at least. And if you look at like the, I mean, Bosco probably could explain it better than I, I, I could, <laughs> but like the design of, 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 that, of that AI, it is human-like. Now, there's the, the the question is you know to what extent does that make it like human to what extent does that make it, it, it can re replace like really high level jobs you know um do those jobs have any value besides like their processing power in the sense that like is there any value from a lawyer or a doctor you know whatever that's that comes from their like humanity and not their ability to just you know pump out information like analyze something think about it and pump out information because if that if, if, if there is none then it could replace probably more than 75 percent of jobs i mean it's uh, it's it's hard to think of jobs that they couldn't replace anything in the medical field you know as soon as people get comfortable with doctors which with uh, machine doctors which right now people are not you know i understand that right now like no one wants to be diagnosed with anything but you know doctor it's like dystopian it looks scary of course but i mean if you think about it like think about how kids are being raised today kids are being raised today with an uncannily high level of comfort with technology ipad kids i mean it's going to be on ipad kids nowadays but the, people are just being exposed to all this stuff from you know robotics technology technology the internet social media from infancy basically and as far as i'm concerned the level of uncanniness that you or me or our parents or our grandparents would have with being diagnosed by a uh, AI doctor is not going to exist for those people. And so basically as soon as they grow up, the medical field 
will probably be in trouble. I mean, I don't know unless there's still some like human element of doctors um, that that people want to maintain. But even like non like regular doctors, like surgeons. I mean, it's hard to think of fields that that, that that AI could not like penetrate into. The only real limitation is like just what can like machine, you know, like what can robotics not do? You know, if 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 it's hard to create robotic technology to do a certain kind of surgery, you know, then um, AI can't do it just because mm. AI doesn't have human hands. It's, you know, it's, it's a machine. It's a software. Right. It's not hardware. That's the real limitation. I mean, like legal stuff. I feel like ninety five percent of the work that lawyers do, and I know I've I've thought about going to law school myself, but I'm at this point I'm not even sure, just because like I don't know, you know, how long I'd be able to have a legal job. I'm like, you know, a lot of times people go into a lot of debt for law school. It might not be worth going into like $150,000 worth of debt post-grad, you know, to get a, a, a JD law degree. If, you know, 10 years from then, I mean, you'll just pay off your debts and then you're out of a job. Like, I mean, what are you going to do? You know, do some kind of like consulting work on it. I mean, it, you know, and, and those are considered to be high level, you know, very high education Absolutely. careers that require a lot of specialization, a lot of training and a lot of high level critical thinking. That's not just like, you know, something that can be programmed into a computer normally. Um, but these things aren't being programmed. Obviously, they're they're learning. They're, they're being like taught. They're being fed large amounts of information, mm-hmm. and they're you know, constantly changing. Right, right. And you know, the, the 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 fear is that like, well, most people, you know, might have more stuff going on in their brain than just processing ability to do work. Like people have complicated emotions and other things that you know, yeah, I can't simulate. But none of that matters economically, right? If you you know are a social i'm trying to think of like random jobs like social media marketing you know or like you do think of like a random major you you help run a studies yeah yeah, like a marine biology nonprofit, or i don't know you are trying to think of like things that are uh, require some level of education like a college degree not like you know truck driving i mean they can also do truck driving obviously you've seen self-driving cars i'm sure but like things that are you know um almost all those things don't require an insane amount of like brain power right they don't require someone to have like a crazy high, you know, like like a genetic get like like high, like born with a high IQ, you know, stuff like that. Like you could just be like a relatively normal or like maybe a little bit above average person, and you could totally get by in those fields, you know, do well, make a lot of money, do do a lot of stuff, and you know, be creative, whatever it takes. I just don't see how most of those things can't be done by a machine, basically. I don't, you know, you're not calling it an AI, but whatever, machine AI yeah. with sufficiently high processing power and a massive, massive store of information. I mean, ChatGPT, for example, and all this stuff ha- has access to the internet from like 1995 through to 2021. That's an insane amount of data. That is more data than any human brain can pull, I, I, I guarantee. There's probably more information than like, I don't know, collected thousand, 10,000 human brains can hold. I mean, it's, it's a massive wealth of, you know, you know, stuff. And, you know, I mean, some people said that, you know, like Google would have the same effect, but I don't, I, I, and that, you know, um, this is just like Google. I, I don't think so. I think that people that compare AI and even things as low level as ChatGPT to like Google, it's, right. it's not really, okay. it's not really accurate. It, at first, when the first like iterations of, of this chat stuff that was like sold to people, you know, like, like, especially on your, on your phone, a lot of apps, you know, like, I think there's like a thing on Snapchat. Yeah. That stuff basically functions like Google. That stuff is pretty low level. It's very heavily restrained. Um, and so that's, yeah, yeah, sure. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about something that's magnitudes, levels, ma- many, many magnitudes of, 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 an, of a degree higher and something which, um, you know, actually actually can do things on its own, things things mm-hmm. that can learn on their own. Um, there's an add-in or add-on, sorry, um, for a lot of IDEs, integrated uh, developer environments that you would write code in that can either fix your code and like proofread it. So that eliminates one software engineering job, which is testing. It's like my mom did for many years, which is someone who basically proofreads other people's codes, checks it, you know, makes improvements and writes like large commentaries. That job is totally removed or displaced by by AI. And it's, it can be displaced now, basically. Yeah. That's one thing. But if it can generate code on its own, then, then the actual like software developer, engineer, the person that like writes everything, that's gone too, right? That, that, that has no like, inherent value of if, if you can you know get something that does it for free and that has a much wider like array of knowledge and background knowledge in, and maybe less you know um what mistakes failure 
Yeah, right? yeah, right. Yeah, it's it's, it's going to make uh, right now probably makes a similar amount of mistakes to humans, but it just keeps getting better and better and better because it learns from its mistakes and it learns right away. It's not like a person that has to like you know look through things and you know get more more education. You know, go on YouTube or you know sit and like sleep on it. You know, the AI doesn't have to sleep on it. It just generates information yeah. like, like this. You know, I can't wait really your side, but like you know what I'm saying. Um, Absolutely. So, so yeah, I'm just having a hard time of thinking of stuff that it can you know. Funnily enough, I mean, everyone was saying that, like, creative stuff, like, you know, English majors, I mean, I was saying this, I was kind of nagging on them, or, or ragging on them, I guess is the right word, saying that, like, oh, you know, um, that's that's not going to be useful. That might be some of the last stuff standing, because I feel like AI is, right now at least, like, the least good at developing and imitating some of that more, like, like literary creatives. I mean, it can make pretty good artwork, but, like, not, not, not as realistic as, you know, humans. It can write pretty good stories or you know like essays philosophical whatever stuff that's like you know on level it's all people, based off like facts and stuff and yeah you can't, really, you can't really um i guess tap into the fictional creative yeah you know fantasy side that human brains come up with stuff that you see in your dreams is this kind of what you're saying right it just doesn't have that like human yeah. spirit i was gonna i was gonna say off of your point is that i believe that one of the few jobs that won't be um threatened is salesmen saleswomen whatever yeah. you want to call it like people that can persuade and have, having being able to have a charismatic personality being able to be personable i i, I don't i don't see a robot a ai replacing or being able to simulate that as well as a human yeah. you know i shake your hand i look you in the eye and i'm asking about how your family is and maybe throwing an inside joke or, you know, I, and you have to adapt that to each person individually, you know, and that's, I don't think, I, I don't see how, how, how a, a robot can sell to, um, another person as well. So I've, I have faith in salesmen and saleswomen, that kind of being, um, a safe, uh, career field, but I don't know.